0: This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. You can find that in your worship packet um, printed out for you. Or you can turn in your Bibles if you have those with you as well. Before we get there, we often say that seeing is believing. Right? If I see something, then I'll believe it. Well... Kids, when people see something, they don't always believe it. And I have a story for you about an animal that explorers found when they first went to Australia. They found an animal, a mammal, which laid eggs, spent time in the water, some on land, had a broad, flat tail, webbed feet, and a bill similar to a duck. Anybody have any idea of what that strange animal is? You can just yell it out. A platypus, a platypus yes. And when they returned to England, they told people about what they saw. And nobody believed them. They thought it was a hoax. And so they went back to Australia and they brought back with them a pelt, right? Of a platypus. And still, nobody believed them even though they saw the pelt of the platypus. They thought it was a hoax, that someone had created this pelt of this weird-looking animal. Even seeing wasn't enough for believing. It wasn't until years later that the duck-billed platypus was known to be a real creature. I mean, people in Australia knew that it was a real creature. (laughs) But in the rest of the world, people did not believe it. This morning, I want to remind us that Luke, the author of this gospel that we've been working through uh, for the last year or so, was not an eyewitness to Jesus. Right? He was not one of Jesus' disciples. He did not live at the same time that Jesus lived, and see him and hear him talk, hear him teach, see him do miracles, and yet he believed. And he investigated all that he had heard from other people to confirm that it was true. Luke has given each of us who find ourselves in the same place as Luke Those who have heard but not seen a great gift. And Luke shows us through his gospel that seeing isn't believing, but believing is truly seeing. And our passage today about a blind man illustrates this clearly. So let's read Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. As he, that's Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word made flesh in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to Your Word today, Lord, might we, as we are reminded specifically in our text today, that we might have eyes to see. We might have ears to hear the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So last week, Jesus told his disciples and us that he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And we were confronted with the question Do we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment? Do we understand that the story of God, the story of God's people, the stories that we learn in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, the stories that seem impossible, crossing a sea on dry land, are all fulfilled in Jesus? In Jesus, everything finds fulfillment. That's what we saw in our text last week. In Jesus, everything finds fulfillment. Everything that was written, everything from the Old Testament, everything that was written before Jesus came, and everything that is to come. Everything that was to come in the life of Jesus and his disciples as they prepared to enter Jerusalem, but everything that is to come... Everything that we experience, everything that we will experience in the world to come, everything finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Today we come to the final section of Luke's Gospel before Jesus enters Jerusalem in what we call his Passion or Passion Week. And these next few encounters that we'll see over the next few weeks and his teaching take place in the city of Jericho. Jericho is just about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And for pilgrims that were on their way to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, this was one of the main routes to the city. And they would have, this would have made for a very crowded and busy Jericho at this point. And would have brought not only those who are following Jesus, the The 12 disciples plus all the others that were following Jesus by this point who were also his disciples, a, a larger group. But also those who were on their pilgrimage for the Passover would have been traveling at this time as well. And they would have been in very close proximity with one another. And as Jesus enters Jericho, preparing his ascent into Jerusalem, Jericho is about thirty-three hundred feet below Jer- Jerusalem. As he prepares for his ascent into the city, where he will be praised on Palm Sunday as the conquering king, as the coming king, he enters Jericho, and Luke tells us that a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And the Gospel of Mark tells us what this blind man's name is. His man's name, this man has a name. He's not some just random person. His name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. This man had a name, was known by those in his community. And by beginning this story with the blind man who cries out in faith, Luke Sets up for us the question that we must ask ourselves Is seeing believing? Is seeing something or someone with our own eyes the best way to know something? In fact, you know, scientifically it's been proven that we don't always see what we think we see. We have a bias that what we see, what we think we see, what we see is what we think we see, and it, we can actually be deceived sometimes in what we actually see. So we come to our passage this morning, especially when it comes to Jesus, believing is truly seen, And for those who believe, the mercy of Jesus is freely given. So we ask ourselves, is seeing believing? And the main point we see this morning is that the mercy of Jesus is for all who believe and by believing we'll truly see first we ask what must we believe and then we'll find we'll see who believes what must we believe well what's interesting about how this passage follows immediately after Jesus tells his disciples what will happen to him in Jerusalem right his persecution his suffering his death and resurrection And we are told that the disciples did not understand. But a man, right, this man who Luke tells us about on the side of the road, a man who presumably has never met Jesus, because if he had met Jesus, presumably he would have been healed already. He's presumably never met Jesus. He's obviously never seen Jesus because he's blind. He's only heard of Jesus and yet he understands more deeply and more fully who Jesus is than the 12 disciples who have spent two or more years with Jesus when the blind man hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth who is in this crowd he realizes that the miracle working Messiah has come And as those who are reading the text, both initially and ourselves, we are reminded of Jesus' announcement of his ministry in the synagogue of Nazareth, right? The crowd tells the blind man, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And that should remind us of what Jesus of Nazareth said in Nazareth when he began his ministry. Using the prophet Isaiah, Jesus tells the people that in their hearing it has been fulfilled. And when John the Baptist and his followers a few chapters later need clarification about Jesus' mission, they come to him and ask, are you the coming one or should we wait for another? Jesus responds by pointing them to the acts of mercy that he has done Jesus tells them go tell John the things you see and hear and then he once again draws on the prophet Isaiah like he did in Nazareth the blind receive their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up the poor have good news preached to them For Jesus, both physical and spiritual healing are acts of mercy and point to one another. Jesus is present to heal both physically and spiritually. Something else that this title may have cued or clued in the blind man along the road Something that's this title, Jesus of Nazareth, may have communicated something more to the first century Jewish hearer than we might catch. Jesus here is actually called Jesus the Nazarene. It's been translated into into English, Jesus of Nazareth, but it's literally in the text, Jesus a Nazarene, and the spelling of Nazarene in the Greek text is Nazarehos. Reminiscent of the Old Testament Nezareo, or branch. From the root of Jesse in Isaiah 11.1, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow of his roots. It is upon this branch that the Spirit of the Lord will rest. The same Spirit referred to in Isaiah 61.1, which Jesus quoted in In his first sermon in Nazareth, this branch from the root of Jesse is none other than the son of David. And what the blind beggar sees by faith without physically seeing is that Jesus is the royal messianic figure promised in the Old Testament. The one who is about to enter the holy city of his destiny as God's final prophet. He also knows that this royal Messiah is merciful. And so he cries out to him accordingly, have mercy on me. Notice that the blind man at this point has not asked for healing but for mercy. And some commentators believe that his cry for mercy may have been understood by some in the crowd as him asking for alms. Because he was a beggar, and one expression of mercy is the giving of alms, which may be why he was rebuked by them for asking Jesus to give, show mercy on him. But I have to wonder if the rebuke was more directed at him because he used the title Son of David. Maybe it was out of care for Jesus, right? Would-be messiahs got killed. That's what happened in Jesus' day. Those who claimed to be the messiah ended up dying. Or maybe it's still that they did not understand the true identity of Jesus. Either way, when those who are preceding Jesus rebuked the blind man, it's an example, once again, of those who should know and understand but fail to understand Jesus and his mission. But a blind beggar on the side of the road knows that he is the son of David and has come to bring God's glory, to bring God's mercy. The merciful miracles that Jesus has done reveals who he is, the creator who will show the ultimate mercy by dying on a cross in Jerusalem in just over a week, so that by his grace he may restore and recreate fallen humanity. Jesus asks, what, uh, what do you want me to do for you? it's kind of ironic at this point because this blind man has already received his sight, in a sense, right? He already sees what many have missed. He already has confessed Jesus as the son of David. He already sees with eyes of faith who Jesus is and why he has come. But Jesus gives him another opportunity to confess his faith before these journeying pilgrims, before his disciples. He has already voiced his faith by calling Jesus Son of David, by crying out for his mercy. And he adds another title in his request. Lord, let me recover my sight. And we may... As those who have read Scripture, have maybe know how Scripture works, we read the word Lord and we think, okay, that's, that means God, that means Jesus. But there's only eight times in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is referred to as Lord by someone else. why is that important because when someone else refers to Jesus as lord they are making a statement they are making a profession of faith they are saying that they understand that this Jesus who I'm referring to as lord carries the same title as the God of the Old Testament. Right, the word in the Old Testament that God gave to His people as His covenant name was Yahweh. His special name. The name that only His people were given to reference Him. And because the people thought it was so holy and so special, they never said it. Instead, they used the word Lord. And in our Bibles, we know that that's referring to God's special name when it's capitalized in the text. Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus, I believe that you are the God who has come down, God in the flesh, the God of promise. The God of covenant. The God of Israel. This blind man has the faith to see that the son of David is the Messiah. He is none other than God himself, the creator, the deliverer of Israel, the covenant God who is the one God who can and will show mercy. And so Jesus responds in a declaration of mercy. Your faith has saved you. What Jesus acknowledges here is that this man's faith in who Jesus is and the man's persistent desire for Jesus to be in his presence, who brings a new creation, Jesus is saying salvation has come to you. Salvation comes to you through me. And the benefits of that salvation flow from his merciful presence. That merciful presence among fallen creatures who are blind to the new creation unless he opens our eyes. That is what we must believe. And who believes? Well, the blind man, of course, right? Jesus brings this radical great reversal for the blind man. Immediately he receives sight. And Luke shows that something else is happening besides him receiving sight. This man becomes a disciple, following Jesus and glorifying God. And this is the typical response throughout Luke's gospel of those who have experienced the saving presence of Jesus. The receiver of the gift worships the giver of the gift. The blind man worships God because he has been visited by God in the flesh. Jesus, the Nazarene, the son of David, his Lord but it's not just for the man. It's also for the people. right? This profession of faith in this miracle is not simply for the individual. right? And this is where we often stop in the church today. The profession of faith in the miracle is not merely for the individual. It is also for the people of God. They are impacted too. Those who are Passover pilgrims are brought into direct contact and relationship with the God of Israel, with the Son of David, with their Lord. Luke tells us that the people gave praise to God. The word here is leos. This is the first and only time that this word is used during Jesus' journey to Jerusalem in Luke. All right? The word is used over and over again in the first part of Luke up to chapter 9, where the people of God are talked about and where prophecy is, is made about the people of God. But from chapter 9 up until here, it is not in Luke's gospel, and then Luke drops it back in this word. read over and over again in the Galilean ministry in the infancy narrative and this word laos is the word used in the Septuagint the Old Testament in Greek for God's covenant people God's people also give praise to God they too worship God for fulfilling his promise through Isaiah to proclaim the good news, to bring recovering of sight to the blind. Who is to believe the individual themselves but also the people of God? God's miracle. God. Who God is, as testified by this blind man, is not only for himself, but for the people of God. Those journeying pilgrims, on the road with him, going to Jerusalem. Those journeying pilgrims like you and I, on our way to glory, awaiting what is to come. If you find yourself like this blind man this morning, blind to who Jesus is, Jesus is ready to hear you cry out, have mercy on me. He wants to come to you and show you mercy to heal and renew your sight. To see and to know the one who lived, died, and rose again for you. And for those of us who have been given this sight, are we those who are following Jesus and glorifying God as we go? Right. The response of this man and the people of God were to glorify God and praise him as they went. Are we the people who praise God for the works he has done in others? Do we truly see all that God has done and is is doing? And are we participating in that work? As we are going, I got a chance this past Thursday and Friday to speak for the high school retreat for Trinity Christian School out at Ligonier. And the theme was mission. That's their theme for the year is mission. And oftentimes we think about mission as something that we go and do. And that's certainly part of it. We had a team that went on mission this summer out to Oregon to serve at White Swan, or I mean, sorry, at Warm Springs. But mission is not just something we go and do. Mission is something that we do as we go. And whatever we are doing, many of you started school this week. You're on mission as you go. Your own mission to do your work well, to care for your fellow students, to serve them, to love them, to show respect to them and your teachers. That's the mission that God has given you. And in doing that, praising and proclaiming the glory of God in our work in our play we go glorifying and praising god as we go are we following jesus and glorifying god believing is truly seen and the mercy of jesus is for all who believe let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word Lord, we thank you that you give sight to the blind. And Lord, we have at one time all been blind and in need of the eyes of faith to see. And yet, Lord, it is by believing that we truly see. Lord, we pray that we be those who see the miracle of new life, who see the miracles that you have done in the lives of others and rejoice and praise God and glorify in you as we go, that we experience that in our own life and we glorify and praise you as we go. As disciples following you on the way, the city of glory, the new Jerusalem. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.